I'm thrilled to have an opportunity to, to share God's Word with you today uh, in a new series that we're going to kick off uh, called Freedom Through Faith. And before we do, uh, before we kick that off, would you join me in prayer and ask God to speak to us this morning, interact with us? In the quietness of this moment, Heavenly Father, I... I ask you would come and your Holy Spirit would come and be present with us and speak to us as we open up your word, the Bible. I ask we'd hear from you and you'd speak through me. Make clear the message that's this, that is this morning. And you would touch every heart that's here. We find a safe moment at this time, a safe moment to listen a safe moment to interact with you and to process all that you're going to speak to us. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, so we're kicking off this new series. I'm really excited about it. Um, as we look at this idea of freedom through faith. And the very first sermon message is going to be about freedom through the gospel. Now, some of you who are believers and follow Jesus might think, oh, okay, well, that's kind of back to basics. And it made me think this morning is, and, and so we, sometimes we hear things back to basics like, oh, okay, I'm kind of there. But I never experienced that here when people want to watch the Patriots play. I mean, it's like, oh, I've seen them before, so I'm not going to watch them. They're, they're just on the Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl, so I'm not going to watch that game today. I've seen them play before. I've seen them go there and win it, so it's no big deal. People get excited, right? Right? Okay. Yeah. See, I already got the wave going here on one side. And so people get excited about it. There's a little bit of excitement. I want to build a little bit of energy in your heart as we think about the gospel message this morning and what freedom there is in the gospel. You might want a Bible. We have some Bibles up front and around, and I'll point you to the scripture we're going to look at, and you're welcome to follow along with me as we do. Let me talk about the book of Galatians real quick as an overview. What's misunderstood many times is that this particular letter, the letter to the Galatians, is unlike some of the other letters, like the letter to the Ephesians, which is a particular town or city that Paul had gone and established a church the letter to the Galatians is not to a particular city or a particular church. It's actually a providence in ancient Rome where Paul had made his first missionary journey through and actually touched into six different cities. It's in modern-day Turkey to get your idea around. So if you went up from Israel through Syria and on around into what would be modern-day Turkey, there was this providence, the providence of Galatia, and that's where Paul went. And he went through six different cities and six different towns and went in and shared the gospel message. And now he's writing a letter back to the churches that are in Galatia. And he's speaking to them. So that's the high view of who the letter is to. And it was written to encourage them. These churches that he had founded and to respond to some escalating criticism about Paul's own credentials to actually have delivered the message. 
that he really came with authority out of Jerusalem where Christianity had been born, so to speak, and questioning his message and actually even the thought and some of the things that he had shared in the gospel. And it was starting to be distorted. And as Paul wrote to them, and if you were to read through the first part of it, you would instantly start seeing things like he would say, I'm so surprised that you've fallen away so quickly from the message I shared with you. And actually, there is no other gospel but the one I preached. And, and so he comes up and he starts speaking to him very, very harshly, if you will. Paul went to six cities I mentioned. He went first to Antioch. And you'd have to get in your mind, it's like there's two different Antiochs that the Bible speaks to. One was in Syria, modern-day Syria, where the church was actually grown and started expanding. Acts tells us the believers were first called Christians in Antioch, and that was this Antioch. And Paul had gone there after he had been converted and came to know Jesus. He found himself in Antioch as a core and key leader of the church. And this church sends him out and Barnabas, and they send them out to go out and to start taking the gospel further into the Roman Empire. And that's so he goes up and goes around the Mediterranean up into what I said, modern-day Turkey and Galatia, and starts going and to preach the gospel. And he goes to Antioch of Pisidia, which is in Galatia. He goes to Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Perga, and Italia, names that don't mean too much to us today. But they were vibrant cities with a population there. And he goes and he's taking the message about Jesus for the first time. Now, his approach was like this Paul being a, a Jew a Pharisee and a leader, he would first go normally into the temple on the Sabbath, the Jewish temple. He would go into the city, into this new city. Can you imagine going to a new town? No one's heard of Jesus before. They might have heard whisperings and things through people passing through, like something happened. There was this person they thought was a Messiah who came, but he was died. He died. He was crucified by the Romans. There were stories that went up, maybe stories of things that had happened through people who had gone back out but not a real confirmation of the message. And Paul would go into these temples and start speaking and sharing them. Hey, the message of the prophets has been fulfilled. The Messiah has come. And he would share the message about Jesus. The Messiah came and he fulfilled all that was written in the book of the law of Moses and in the prophets. And he actually died in Jerusalem. He was crucified. But he did it for us. He died for our sins. Just as the Bible, the Old Testament, just as the prophets said he would. And he's been resurrected from the dead and he lives. And Paul would say, I actually have seen him. He appeared to me. And that's why I'm here. And he would share that message. Sounds like a powerful message, doesn't it? Eyewitness testimonies this way. In these Jewish communities, or, or if you will, temple communities, there were also... Gentiles, non-Jews, who were actually participating, interacting with the Jews, they would be there. And as, Jesus, as Paul would teach, some of the Jews, some of the Gentiles would come to know Christ, would believe the message. Great things would happen. But it wasn't without opposition. Let me read it and count for you. Listen closely to these words. 
This comes out of the book of Acts. So Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue in Iconium, one of these towns in Galatia. And he preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. In spite of that, the town was divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. And then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Iconia to another town in Galatia, Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area, and there they preached the good news. They literally fled from Iconia, this first town, with rocks falling behind them, so to speak. I realized this morning as I preached the gospel message, Paul was stoned and rocks thrown at him. Uh, we look at him now as a hero of our faith. We didn't check for anybody bringing rocks in this morning, but if you did, I'm ready. In Lister, the story repeated itself, so Paul's there. He goes back into the temple of, of that city, and he starts preaching, but he was opposed. But this time he was opposed not only from the local Jews and Gentiles, about his message of grace. He was opposed by those who came from Iconium, who still had rocks in hand. They showed up. And in verse 19 of Acts 14, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. How's that for your first missionary trip? But the believers gathered around him as he's laying wounded and appears dead, they gathered around him and he got up to their prayers and went back into town. And after preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in their faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting, and they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they put their trust. And Paul established and does this six different times. With great victory, power, miraculous signs and wonders showing up, people believing the message about Jesus, that he had come and died on a Roman cross for the penalty of their sins, and God had raised him from the dead, and by simply believing in him, you could have eternal life. And he preaches that message over and over. So what stirred up the controversy? What caused all the tension? So much so that they'd want to pick up rocks and throw at you, and they actually did until they thought he was dead. They threw so many rocks at him, they stoned him until they thought he was actually dead, and they just drug his body outside of the city and left it. Well, it centered on this, the controversy did. That Paul kept insisting that 
certain ceremonial things of the Jewish custom and law weren't required anymore to be a Christian. It was such a huge issue that it actually followed Paul back home when he left the mission field and went back to the home church of Antioch. And both New Testament books of Acts and the letter to the Galatians tell us that Paul eventually had to go down to Jerusalem to meet with Peter, John, and James. They call them the pillars of this new belief, this belief in Jesus, this Christianity. And it's what most historians say is the first church council, and Paul goes there and shows up. Because this controversy keeps following him. He's going and preaching to people that you don't need to keep circumcision. You don't need to keep certain things of the Jewish law anymore that you can by simply believing in Jesus, you will be saved. Remembering that his message first went to the, Jew, to the Jews, it was so hard for them to appreciate and understand. But he insisted, and he goes before Peter, James, and John, and he makes his case that if you do anything else to add on to your belief in Jesus, anything that you're doing thinking this is going to help me get into heaven, this is what is required, you must do these things in order to be a Christian, you're diluting the faith. You're robbing the believer, whether Jew or Gentile, of their freedom in Jesus. Because he insisted that salvation was totally experienced by believing only. That what Jesus had done and not anything that we could do. Salvation, he writes to another church, is by grace through faith, not by works. And while he was there meeting with Peter, John, and James, they agreed with his account. They agreed with his message. And they validated it. And Paul writes all of this in his first opening chapters to these churches in Galatia. Look, guys, I didn't come unprepared or uncredentialed. I didn't come with a gospel that's not the truth. Matter of fact, Peter, John, and James have validated my message and who I am. And I came with authority and power when I told you about the message of Jesus and the free gift of life that he offers you. And in Galatians chapter 2, He speaks of this time with, the, with Peter, James, and John. He goes, this controversy, well, even that question came up because of the, some of the so-called Christians there, fake ones, really, who were secretly brought in. Can you imagine? They, they got a, 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 this church meeting with Peter and James and John and Paul's there and Barnabas, all these great leaders of the faith, and he said there's people who were snuck in really fake believers, if you will. They sneaked in to spy on us and to take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. Now you might think, is this really relevant to me? Kind of great history, Jeff. Thanks for that. But is it relevant for me today? Let me remind us that 
adding certain religious regulations or credentials or stereotyping still happens. Mandating cultural norms or certain other things to say, you're, if you're a Christian, then you would be doing this or not doing that. Often people in the church want to conform us or conform someone to look and act a certain way in order to be accepted. Be accepted as a really true believer, as a relevant believer. Usually it surfaces in the way someone looks or how they dress or what kind of denomination they identify with. You know, there's even some that even doubt the sincerity reality of someone's salvation because of the denomination they're associated or that they're not Catholic or, or they're Catholic or, and, and, and those kinds of things because they identify as evangelical or because they identify as charismatic. They're a Christian and they're Republican. They're a Christian and they're Democrat. And people question their faith. She says she's a Christian. She's from New England. <laughs> Those Christians, they think they're Christians down south. I've lived in both places, and I grew up in the southwest. And there's questions about it, just about where you're from. If you're American or not. It's like Christianity is like this an American thing. I think Jesus was a Jew <laughs> in Israel, matter of fact, you know. But we happen to know a few people who weren't born in this country. Well, married one. And she's very much a follower of Jesus. How about the color of your skin? And this is bizarre. Actually, I had somebody say, I'm using the original Bible, the King James, the same one Peter and James used. And I go, oh, King James. <laughs> you know, are you serious? You know, good grief. That Christian's listening to secular music. Oh, he has tattoos. Oh, they smoke. They drink. Is it irrelevant? No, it's very relevant. The message that Paul preached about the grace and grace alone of the gospel is one of the most relevant things that we can have and grasp onto. I want you to come in this morning. I want you to hear this message again. I want you to hear it refreshed because it impacts us. What we believe and how we live it out. Now, of course, I'm predominantly referring to those outward expressions, the ones we can see, how we classify and stereotype. We all become the TSA of the Christian world, you know. Take your shoes off and let me check you and let me go through the scanner. You passed my TSA, Christian TSA, and you're able to come on and you can board the flight with us to eternity. But there's another barometer. There's a barometer of the heart, a barometer of the soul. And no relationship is really authentic and free if it's bound up in outward expectations. You know that in relationships you've had with one another. If there's some obligation or expectation of you, do you really feel free in that relationship? Oh, I, I better do this because that's what you know, they're expecting of me. Or I better not do this or say that because that's, what it, that's not the freedom of relationship. A great relationship, it's a freedom to be who you really are, isn't it? 
And there's one who desires a relationship with us. The creator of all things. The God of the universe. The Holy One. And He wants an authentic relationship with us. And you know, anything that we can bring to the table is meaningless. Because He did it all. So what is it it to be free then? That place of liberty. From external and outward restrictions. Those boundaries from opposition so that we can fully, fully experience everything that we're designed to be. As Americans, we think we wrote the book on it, don't we? That we hold the keys to understanding freedom. Our country was birthed out of bondage so we could experience liberty. Our founding fathers wrote and signed a Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that men, all men, are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I believe the Bible, written by God and signed by God, declares an even higher state of freedom and liberty for us. And that is a freedom to fully experience a relationship with Him. A vibrant relationship with the Creator and the Holy One. Jesus even called this out in John 10.10. He said, my purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying and abundant life. That's what Jesus wanted. Relationship with us is something God desires and He pursues. Did you know God pursues you? This is the truest act of freedom to be all God intends us to be in a relationship with Him. And that's why the gospel is the good news. Because it's reestablishing a relationship with God, a relationship that was born broken and can be repaired. And fixed, but nothing by what we do, only by the grace of God and the work of his hand, Jesus. Let me highlight three points out of this book in Galatians, the first couple of chapters. The first point is this. There's freedom through faith, and that faith is in the gospel. And the gospel is good news that rescues us from this evil world. Would you look with me? I think we have on the screen here Galatians 1 verse 4. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. You talk about a Navy SEAL team going in and rescuing somebody. God sent his SEAL team, and his name was Jesus, and he came in to rescue us. He came in to save us. It's not a soft word that's used here. It's one to redeem somebody, to go and actually fight their way back out. And it says here, he gave his life for our sins. There's two aspects of this I want you to fully grasp this morning. One is that because he gave his life for our sins, Jesus paid for that punishment for us personally. There's this idea that he's rescued us on a personal level. He's taken us on that personal level. And when he died on a cross so many years ago, it was for a punishment for sin that had to be paid for. 
Because the punishment of sin is death. Missing the mark with God. There was a debt that's owed. And it's been fully paid for in Jesus. Yes or no? Yeah. You should be saying, yeah, this is great stuff. I want to sit on the front of my seat here because this is good stuff. This is great stuff. This is the message that we believe. This is the message that we believe. But there's also another aspect of this. He rescues us from this evil world. This is the very essence of the gospel message. And why it's such good news. We were captives by our own sin. As much as we tried to break free, we, free from it, we couldn't. And we're actually captives to this evil world where we're bound. We're saved both, from both. From the internal things and the external. And that's why Paul writes, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God the Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world. But let me handle these as objections too, if you will, for just a moment. Because I've heard this plenty of times. On an overall scale, some people would find themselves, I'm really not that bad. Nor the world is really that entirely evil place. Uh, I think the Bible is really exaggerating here a little bit too much. And some of us, though, don't have that kind of objection. I personally don't find a problem that I've sinned and committed errors in my life. I'm sorry for them, and I hate them, and I hate the consequences that came out of those. I know I missed the mark with God. In spite of everything, I'm not perfect. And many of us don't struggle with that very much at all. But there's a line of thinking, and I'll call it a worldly thinking, if we will, that says something like this. I'm really not that bad. Come on, nobody's perfect. And I'm no terrorist, convict, or killer. I'm as good as the average, if not better than most. You never heard anybody say something like that? I feel like, yeah, we have. I'm really not that bad. Come on. God averages things out. I've been graded my whole life on a bell curve, and I'm going to fall in there somewhere or another. But the Bible says different. It says every one of us falls short of perfection. Has missed God's mark in some way. And that's the place that we want to get to and say, oh, I know. And sometimes that's the hardest point. Sometimes when, when we talk with folks and even deal with our own problems or life is actually to admit it. I know. I hate it. And even to say the words right now, some of you are actually experiencing moments where you remember. And don't you hate it? But we miss the mark. The Bible also says every one of us needs God's restoration because of that. And it's only through Jesus. And he did it by taking our punishment on a cross. And he died. But God resurrected him back to life. And if I believe in him, I'll live too. I'll be forgiven. I'll be set free from captivity of my own sin and set free from captivity of this evil world. The psalmist wrote, if you think this is new stuff just for the New Testament, only fools say in their heart there's no God. They're corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them 
does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise. If anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good. Not a single one. In Isaiah 53, he said this, all of us are like sheep. And we strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And in Romans, he said that we've been made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's the word of the Bible. Do you believe that? You've been set free. Are you free indeed? Oh, but there's one more obstacle. Okay. All right, I get it. I've got some bad in my life, but you know what? The world's really not that bad. I mean, you're really painting it pretty bad. And some will say, I think you go way too far, Jeff. I think the scriptures are going way too far that this is an evil world. That's probably the wrong classification for it. I know there's been extremes in history, but overall, if you round it on, rounded it out, looked at the bell curve, things are going pretty well. Look at our, look at our humanity. We pretty much watch out over ourselves. We take care of that. But the Bible disagrees. And I want to tell you what the Bible says before I do. These thoughts are in my head. And Thursday night, I waited the last possible moment of the week. I, I wanted to be unbiased. I said, I'm going to look at one website that has a conglomeration of news, and I'm just going to take the headlines off of it and see if it says anything about the evil in our world. Might want to take a Tums or something at this point. Egypt Air Flight 804 has crashed. More than 60 have died in the Mediterranean. The San Francisco police chief resigns in the midst of scandals. A Nigerian girl was found from the 276 that were mass kidnapped. One girl found from 2014 by Islamic fundamentalist militia group in Nigeria. Six family members were brutally murdered in Chicago. The Zika virus spreading, causing deformities in newborn children around the globe and where is it affecting next? There's a landslide in Sri Lanka that buried three villages with hundreds missing. That's Thursday's news. Flint, Michigan. Evaluations of the lead poisoning and the effects on the children that are there. A 13-year-old girl found shackled for a year and held captive by a man and his son in Ohio. And the list goes on. Is it enough to turn your stomach? We live in an evil world, guys. There's evil throughout the world. It permeates every area. It makes us sick. But we become numb to it because we hear it so much, unless it gets close to home. How many of you have heard about the Sri Lanka landslide? Five of you. Because it doesn't make the local U.S. news, right? It's not close enough. And so we sort and filter it out. And you might think things are just spinning out of control. It's in chaos. I'm going to tell you another story. I don't think things are spinning out of control and in chaos. 
No, I think this world is very much in control and under control by the enemy of God. Who's purposely leading an evil war against God. And God sent His Son to redeem us and rescue us from captivity of that world and to bring in His kingdom. And we've been called to the battlefront to participate that and to make a difference in this world. One of us, by listening to this message this morning, you've been redeemed. You've been called out. Not just to sit here and say, that's too bad on another part of the world, but to say that God's got a purpose for us. And this message is valid today. Valid in the U.S., in Hopkinton, Massachusetts, as valid it is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I grew up, as valid it is in, name the city, name the country, name the place. From Nigeria to the countries around the Mediterranean, to South Africa, throughout Europe, Asia, all over the world. Here's what the Bible says. You think I'm exaggerating. Once, Paul writes this to a group of people in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to follow with me. Once you were dead, he's speaking to us, if you will. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in this unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Pretty bad. But God, who's so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from dead, from the dead, along with Christ, and seated us within the heavenly realms, because we're united with Christ Jesus. So God can now point to all future ages as examples, uh, to us as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness, as shown in all that he's done for us in Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. God's on a rescue mission, guys. He rescued us. The most vibrant, excited, hopeful people in the world should be the folks in this room who believe in Jesus. Do you get me? And we can't sit on our hands. We can't just wait and somebody says, this is going my life. Oh, I'm so sorry. Hey, God can do something about this. I see him do it in mine. He can do it in yours. Can I pray for you? What's that? Why are you so upbeat and happy? I mean, look what's going around. And they might list some of these things. It's because I have a relationship with God. Oh, come on. How do you do that? Oh, let me tell you. But I don't go to that church. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I still smoke and, or I drink. And look what I did. To, I'm all, I got this. And I'm, he didn't care. He loves you. If you knew all the garbage in my life and he saved me, he rescued me. Freedom in the gospel is good news that we've been rescued. Second point. I've got 17 this morning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Paul preached and people fell asleep and fell out the windows. Hold on, guys. Hold on with me. Freedom through faith. Faith in the gospel is the good news that makes us right with God. Let's expand on that for a moment. Here's the verse, Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is made right 
with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. I think he said it enough different ways. There's nothing that we can do that add to it. It's only by believing. We're made right. Some of your versions, some of your English versions of the Bible might use the word justified. But it literally is to be made right in such a way that you've been declared righteous before God. But not just like, okay, pardoned and released, but pardoned and brought in. You've been made right with God in such a renewed way that He takes us in as His own child. Listen to what He says. We're more than rescued from the debt and the chains of our sins. But we're made right with God, free to live in a relationship with Him. In Romans, He said, So you received not a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when He adopted you as His own children. We now call Him Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with ours to affirm that we're God's children. Feel it in your heart right now. Can you sense that calling and longing in your heart that you're a child of God? Not just pardon like, oh, I got away with that. Because sometimes that happens. Like you're rushing a little bit too fast down the mass pike and you see a highway patrol and he's coming up really fast and the lights are going and your heart just starts like that. But he rushes on by you. Okay, you feel validated like, okay, it's okay to drive, you know, this much over the speed limit. And you feel vindicated by it, but does it make it right? No. But this is, not only has he come up to you, he actually, I paid that debt. Would you come with me? You're my child. We've been made right with God. He'll say the same thing later in Galatians 4 when we get to that part of the study. And those of you who are with me in John... The very first verses in John, the Gospel of John, he says this, all who believed him in Jesus and accepted him, all, he gave the right to become children of God. Is that great news? You're a child of God. You've not just been rescued. You've been brought into God's family. You're part of something extremely special. There's freedom through faith in the gospel that makes us right with God. And the last point's this. Faith in the gospel is the good news and our only source of life and living. A few verses later in verse 20 of chapter 2, Paul says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. All that used to control me, make me up, that hung on a cross and was crucified with him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're called into living for God. Not in our own strength, not in what we've done, not in our own credentials. They're worthless. But we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we're now a child of God. And we're to live by Him. 
We're called out now, as I said earlier, to join in the battle for this world, opposing evil, helping the oppressed, making followers of Jesus. That's not isolated to a few people who take a pulpit on Sunday morning or to others. That's what we're all called out to do. Don't expect to be received in open arms by everybody you share it with. Uh, Paul took a few rocks and bruises over it, was later martyred and killed for it. But the message is worth it because it's the message of life. We're in a battle, guys. We're in a war. And we can't pretend that we're not. But you've been rescued. You've been made right. You're no longer a captive. And you've been empowered to live in the power, by the power of Christ. How vibrant is your relationship with him now? Jesus is the real freedom that our soul longs for. Gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. There's freedom through faith in him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to spend a few moments in worship. 15, 20 minutes, I hope. Please don't cut anything out. <laughs> and as they're coming up, getting ready, I'd like you to take these words about the message this morning. Are you sitting on your edge of your chair excited about what God's done for you? Do you question this morning, maybe, have I really made that personal movement towards Jesus in that way? As you stand up and join us in worship, would you interact with God in that way? Father, you are the only wise God. You show us your grace and your kindness, and you love us where we're at. We thank you, Lord, for your presence and the opportunity to sing our appreciation to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, my name's Kevin. Um, I just want to share a few things that the Lord might want to do, invite you up to prayer, and then uh, Jeff's going to come back and um, give us some final words. Um, so, so this morning, um, well, in, in Jesus' time, uh, he used to teach the people in parables, these sort of mysterious stories with mysterious meanings, and then he would um, explain the, the parables to his uh, followers, his disciples. And for you, uh, maybe for some of you, um, the things of God seem mysterious, and I just want to encourage you that he, he wants to invite you to come and follow him, and he wants to reveal himself and the mysteries of his kingdom uh, to you this morning. Secondly, there, there might be some of you who feel like you can't follow um, God with all your heart. You, you haven't got your act together. Um, and I just believe the Lord would say to you, you know, um, give me what you have. It's, it's Jesus who transforms us. We're, we're not our own transformers. Um, and then lastly, th there might be someone who feels like you're uh, kind of having a meltdown. You're just feeling out of control, a mess, 
um, and I believe the Lord wants to um, protect you and uh, restore you, help you clean up the mess maybe. Um, and if you'd like prayer for anything else, um, after Jeff's done, I, I just encourage you to come up. We'll have a prayer team, and we'd love to pray with you. Yeah, so we're going to close out this way, a little differently this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question. I think there's someone here this morning that you're not really sure. I mean, you've, you, you think you know Jesus, but you've not processed it the way we've explained it and talked about it this morning. And you'd like to experience that rescue from God and experience Jesus and fully realize it. Maybe you've held it and done it in your heart, but not fully come out and shared it and spoke to someone else about it. If that's you, would you come up here this morning and, and let, let us pray with you? Would you come up this morning and let us pray with you if that's you? Yes, we would come up. Anybody else would like to come up and we can pray for you because today you'd like to be that day that you'd like to know Jesus. Will you be today, you'd like to come and know Jesus. Would you come up and make that today? Make that today, that you would come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. We're going to have people gather around you, and we're going to pray with you right over here right now. i got another group I want to ask for, for prayer. I want to ask for, for prayer. Maybe you've been in the battle, and you're wounded. And the struggles and the things of this world have affected you and hurt you, and you'd like prayer for that. And you're hurting. And you need a refreshment of the, of the Spirit to come upon you. Would you come up and let, let us pray for you? Would you come up and let us pray for you? If that's you. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. Let's pray for you. And then the last group is this this morning. Without leaving anybody out. Maybe you feel right with God. You know you feel right with God and you've not experienced that struggle, but you would like to say, I, I want to step one more closer place into the battle. I'm tired of being on the back lines. I want to move up into the front lines and take a greater experience with the kingdom of God and move into a deeper level, a deeper level of faith and commitment. If you would like to do that, would you come up and let us pray with you? We're going to have a group over here praying for you right here. Would you come up if that's you? If you'd like to move into a deeper relationship with God, a deeper step, and say, this is time for me. Would you come over here? And we're going to pray for you over here. We're going to move over there. Come over here and pray here. So I've got folks over here that's praying for, I want to move further. I want to go deeper with God. I've got here that are wounded. I've got here that's taking a new step with Christ. That's you. And if you see yourself and you're not one of these people and you can help us pray, would you lift your hands and start praying for people? Because I'm going to dismiss you now. In the name and authority of Jesus Christ, I ask that you would go in peace. And may his peace go with you. And don't forget that you've been called and rescued by the real King of Kings. His name is Jesus. And He loves you. Go in the power and authority of His name in life this week. Amen. The group's going to keep playing. If you want to move on, there's coffee and things outside. And we're going to start praying for people up here. Let's, let's pray.